When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said to them, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you're not led astray for many will come in my name and say, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues and there will be a dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance. You will gain your souls. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. We know you speak, oh God, we know you speak to us. We don't often know what that looks like or sounds like. We don't recognize it often when it happens. We don't always have eyes or ears for it. You speak to us in all kinds of ways. So our prayer is that you do so this morning. Speak to us through my words. Speak to us through the thoughts and the things that are created because of what is said. Speak to us as you always do. That we may hear and become the people you would have us be. Amen. So how in the world do you read a crazy scripture like the one we just read a second ago? I mean, that whole thing's nuts, right? This sounds, it's just, Jesus is predicting the destruction of the temple and what feels like the end of everything, using wild language in order to do it, not one stone will be left on top of another, all will be thrown down, there'll be earthquakes and plagues and famines, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, your parents and your best friends will come after you, everything will be topsy-turvy and upside down, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. How are you supposed to read that? What are we supposed to take from a reading like that one? Now, I will say this. It gets my attention. 
In an odd way, I find myself wanting to hear more about it. Not unlike the disciples, the people in the story who immediately respond, when will these things happen? What will be the sign? You know, it's almost as if they're saying, sounds a little scary, Jesus, but somehow, some way, I kind of want to know more. We're fascinated, actually, with apocalyptic stuff. End of times stories. We've always been that way. Whether it be classic movies like War of the Worlds or The Day the Earth Stood Still or more recently since I've grown up, The Matrix or just this year, Avengers Endgame, Zombieland. Something about it just sets fire to our imagination. It's almost as if we can't get enough. There are book series like The Hunger Games and Divergent. I'm sure there's a lot more now that I haven't seen. We just can't get enough of it. We're fascinated, captivated by what might happen next. A friend of mine was doing a confirmation class at his church and he was telling me, you know, in, the, in confirmation, one of the parts of it is to write a statement of faith. That's part of the process, typically, is by the end of it, you have this statement of faith, you know, and you turn it in. And he was reading these statements of faith from the youth, and, and a lot of them said things like, I believe in God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, things you expect, and he gets to one, and all it says is this, I believe in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> you know, and he said, well... Well, at least it's a start. There's something about that stuff that just grabs hold of us, fascinated by what it's going to look like when all of this comes to an end. And I think in that lies a clue as to why we find those kinds of readings in the Bible and, and even how we might read them when we find them. But in order to get to that, I need to ask you about how you read other kinds of stuff, like a poem. Do you read a poem in the same way you read a cookbook? No, right? Poem isn't a recipe. A poem typically paints a picture. So when you read a poem, you're trying to visualize the picture this poem is trying to, to paint. When you come across a short story or a parable, as they're often called, do you read it like you would a history lesson? No. Parables meant to convey a moral point. So you read it with that kind of understanding. When you hear the words, once upon a time, you know you're about to read a fairy tale. When you see the phrase, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you know the epic Star Wars music is about to play and you're going to see a great space adventure. At least you hope so. Critics lately have said otherwise. Apocalyptic language in the Bible and stories does the same thing. We're supposed to read it with a certain kind of of lens. Poem, you read like a poem. 
parable, you read like a parable. The problem is we don't often know what it is we're looking at when we're reading the Bible, right? Sometimes we get to a passage like this and we just go, that's just nuts. I don't even know how to read it. And we need help. Let's take another example. Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of the Bible. Many of us think we know how to read it. I'll bet I'm getting ready to change that for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? How does that sound? Sounds like a history lesson. Would it change how you read it if I told you that entire first chapter is actually a long Hebrew poem? It's a poem. We get all caught up in whether the day is actually a 24-hour day or time or the details of it as if it's some kind of accurate history lesson. It's a poem. It's painting a picture. So when we read it, we should read it that way. That's the beauty of the Bible. That it's filled with all kinds of different types of things and ways to read it. When we talk about reading the Bible literally, we don't mean to literally read it the same way all the way through. We mean to read the different pieces of it quite literally as they're supposed to be read. Sometimes that takes some educating on how we're supposed to read it. Chapter 1 of the Bible is a poem. When Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son, are we trying to work out the details of that history lesson? No, because we know there's a moral point to it. He's telling a story, so we should read it that way. Same goes for our text this morning. Does it change how you read it if I tell you that Luke wrote it 15 years after the temple was destroyed. It's a reflection. It's not a prediction. It had already happened. It's not to say that Jesus didn't say that, but if it's a history lesson, then Luke would have taken it out because it, it already happened. Why tell something that's already happened? You already know it's happened. Why, re, why act as if it's a future thing? He should have changed. He didn't do that. He kept it this way for a reason. Because apocalyptic stories in the Bible were not meant to be some accurate prediction of what's supposed to happen next. They were told and shared in order to help the people at the time deal with something that had already happened or was going on at the moment they heard it. Isaiah does it. Daniel does it. Jesus does it here in Luke. Revelation does it. They're all dealing with events that have already happened or are occurring at the time that they write these books they cast an event into the past and predict it as a future event to help people wrestle with what's been going on. In other words, Jesus tells these stories in Luke so that the people can know that no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how wild things might be, God can still be trusted. not meant to be a prediction. It's meant to be an assurance. And there's a formula to it. 
Apocalyptic literature often follows this formula. The person starts off by speaking of the catastrophic event, then the people stand up and say, when will this occur? And they know the formula. They're following the script so that they can get the story beyond it. It's like hearing once upon a time. We know that a fairy tale is going to happen. They know that an apocalyptic story is going to happen, and they come and they know why they're being told it, so that they can rest with all certainty in the trust that God has a hand in this world, that there are much bigger hands than ours at work here. So the story is not meant to be a prediction, it's, it's meant to be a, an assurance. Professor Gilberto Ruiz talks about this particular passage and he says, here, Jesus uses unsettling language and imagery in order to remind the people that they should place their trust in God no matter what circumstances they find themselves in. It's not meant to be read as truth. It's meant to be read as a reminder of the truth. That there are much bigger hands at work in this world than ours. Another scholar puts it this way. It says, in the end, Jesus is not all that concerned with giving us an accurate forecast of what the future holds. Jesus is much more concerned with talking to us about who it is who holds that future in the first place. It's meant as an assurance. Jesus says it himself. When you hear of wars and insurrections, don't be terrified, says it in the passage that we just read, to remind them that that's why this story is being told. Ends it with not a hair on your head will perish. It's an assurance. Just like in Genesis chapter 1 that reminds us of who it is who sits at the beginning of the world, apocalyptic language, crazy scriptures like this one are often meant to remind us of who it is that sits at the end. They're also there to remind you that you sit in what Danielle Schroyer calls the boat of grace, held firm as you sway back and forth by the great big cosmic hands of God, hands that you can trust. Amen.